This episode contains subject matter that may be triggering or upsetting for some listeners. More details, including timestamps, are located in the description. Stay safe. You had me at... Hell no! Welcome to You Had Me at Hell No. I'm Mel. I'm Allie. And this is our podcast where we talk about romance movies and why the world seems to love them, even though they're all bad. Yeah. Why uh, we love, like, we kind of love them as a people and also specific ones uh, as individual people. Yes. But uh, they kind of hate us. They don't like women. They don't really like people of color. They don't like LGBTQIA. And others, it's, there's a lot of tropes and a lot of cliches that when you really pick these movies apart, you just think to yourself, why the fuck am I watching this? Yes. And here's the thing. It's not that those tropes aren't evident in every other genre. It's just that in this specific, it's odd that in this specific genre that seems to be all about acceptance, love, and happiness, and a way to relax, that those are even more heavily enforced. Correct. And the more you look at it, the more you wonder why people are so unhappy with romance and why ingrained in our culture being single is such a desperate situation where you can't be single. Mm-hmm. And it's because of movies like this. Yes. So that's what we're going to talk about for the podcast. And why, how, why are we qualified to talk about this? Even uh, though we we've... are in no way qualified to talk about this, mm-hmm. but we both love movies and we're a couple of millennials who had time on our hands during quarantine. Yes. Melanie, what type of movie do you typically like to watch when to relax? What's your relaxation? My movie? relaxation is horror. The other day I watched watched Green Inferno for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. It was not good, but I watched it anyway. What yeah. do you like to watch for Ooh, fun? Uh, for relaxation? Uh, relaxation? Okay. Good night, everybody. <laughs> this is it. It's over. The worm is in my brain, and it's done. <laughs> to relax, I will watch an action movie. I recently watched Hurricane Heist. Also, <gasps> was it good? No. It could have been so great, and it was not good. Hurricane Heist! Hurricane Heist! I wanted it to be good. There is a character named Breeze. <laughs> That's good. Who is a former football player, current, like, electrician? I Live your life. Uh, it truly, it was the brother from um, True Blood kind of just playing the same character. Brother, like, Jason Stackhouse, yes. who became, like, a werecat? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I could, the movie yeah, could I watched used True Blood. so much of him. The movie could have used so much more of him, frankly. He's in a really good scary movie, a James Wan one called Dead Silence. No, no, thank you. It's it's got one. It's got the other Wahlberg, not Marky Mark. Donnie, I think so. Mm-hmm. It's probably you know, Donnie. Listen, it's not a perfect movie, but it's very James Wan. And if you're into that shit, I recommend Dead I, Silence. I but that aside, mm-hmm. what we're, we're here to discuss today is not Dead Silence, no. and it's not Hurricane Heist. It's not an action movie. It's not a spooky dooky ooky pooky <laughs> movie. <laughs> That's correct. It is Ever After. Oh, 1998. Drew Barrymore stars and uh, produced it. She's great. She's great. Before you get into it, we need to ask Tiffer because Tiffer is our engineer, and Tiffer doesn't necessarily watch as many movies as we do, huh, Tiff? That's true. Okay. So, based only on the title and the fact that Ali gave away it's a retelling of something, what do you think Ever After is about? Well, it's a 1997 Drew Barrymore uh, produced (laughs) and uh, starred in retelling of um, Sleeping Beauty. Close. Very close. Very close. Cinderella, I knew that. Aha. You got it. Did they play this one on like ABC Family back in the day? They had to. I'm sure they did. They did. That's where we probably all watched it. Well, I owned it. Okay. Which is funny because you hated this movie. I know. I had a big problem with it. Uh, Anyway, that was Tipper's Pop Culture Osmosis. (laughs) This is uh, very close, but this is a retelling. It's supposed to be sort of a post-feminist version of Cinderella. Can I ask you to please clarify what the fuck you mean by post-feminist and how this movie is supposed to fit into that? What I mean is that 
Not that I don't have a problem with the feminist. I just have a problem with it being post-feminist because this movie's not feminist at all. Yeah, here's the thing. It's supposed to be, what if Cinderella, uh, the story of Cinderella was less her being rescued by a man and more about her trying to build herself up. Now, I said post-feminist partly because I kind of understand what they mean by that, but also because I saw an article where it called it a post-feminist thing and I wanted to... Sound smart for this. No, you are sounding thing. smart. I just, for our listeners. I'm not sounding smart, Melanie. You, yes, you I'm are. I'm a big stupid doo-doo head. I'm okay. just a big fucking dummy with great tits. <laughs> I mean, no arguments here. You really hit the nail on the head, you big stupid big-titted dummy. God, I'm just a big-titted dummy who got a full-ride scholarship to the U of A that she lost because of a mental breakdown. And there it is. We should probably cut some of that or keep it no, in. No, we're keeping that shit. <laughs> You knew what you signed up for. I'm getting vol on the pod. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but it, no, explain to our listeners exactly. Like what I also don't understand because I'm not as well versed in the waves of feminism. Okay. It's sort of, um, I believe now we're sort of entering a sort of almost fourth wave of feminism. Are we? I, oh, that, that would make yeah. sense to me. Yeah. But, uh, this is sort of post, I would say like second wave where, which is more burning your bras, sort of a, re- a reclamation of, sexuality in a way that is totally almost like I don't um in order to not be seen as sexual objects it's sort of a rejection of a lot of traditional roles that women have had to fill and sort of traditional ways women present themselves so women are larger parts of the workforce women don't dress in a sort of way that would be seen as maybe Got more it. sexual or so more this feminine. Is, this is post the era of, you think know, like post, rejecting like, 50s bra, housewife, and yeah. this is more into, like, Gloria Steinem, big glasses era. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. I was about to say Gloria Steinem. Um, third wave is a little bit more about reclamation of the sexuality in terms of, like, sex positivity. Sort oh. of. Um, whereas, uh, and again, I'm not a scholar, and I don't want, so people can... Columbus, but like second wave would be a little more critical of say Beyonce doing some like a sexy dance and seeing that as her feeling powerful whereas third wave would sort of more applaud her for that and see that as her having agency over her sexuality okay third wave tends to be to my knowledge and also please if you have a better idea let us know. Send us in critiques. I, this is me wanting to learn more. Correct. Email us at hellnocast at gmail.com with but your facts about feminism. Something I've noticed about more recent um, explorations and waves of feminism is a support for the sex worker. Um, whereas, that, I think, would be definitely yes. in what is considered post-feminism slash fourth wave. Yeah, like third, fourth wave, kind of third, fourth wave is more uh, supporting of the sex worker, whereas... And Some, body positivity. And body I think. positivity, whereas certain like body neutrality, like whereas earlier iterations of like what we now know as like feminism uh, would only see that as like something that is oppressive to women. Got it. Oh, thank you for explaining that. Hey, you're so welcome. Cinderella is a tough girl, not like other girls. She's doing it for herself. Does and and does it succeed? Uh, I had problems with this movie, but there are also things we both I liked. had. Oh, I had some major ass <coughs> problems with this movie, but they weren't about the things you had problems with. Okay. Um. So this movie. Um. We open before we even meet Drew Barrymore. We meet sort of younger her. She has a father. She's a only child. She has, like, a little boy who's her friend. Gustav. Gustav. And they, this like... this takes place in France, by the way. Yes. And they play in the mud. Because she's not like other girls. She's a tomboy. She's, Even she's though a she tomboy. wears a dress. And... She's not afraid to get muddy. Which is also, like, I get that. Yeah. Get dirty. Um, and her father returns. She has a very close relationship with her father. Because she... Her mother has passed. Her mother has passed. And he returns. He's married... This woman, Angelica Houston, phenomenal, who has two daughters. And this is where the evil stepmother, evil stepsisters trope gets brought yes. into the story. And what happens is he's like, okay, uh, I married this woman. Now she's going to live with you. Now I have to go to a business thing. I don't know. Unclear. He's Unclear, a baron. But he dies. He's, wait, he's a baron, right? Yeah. No, I don't know if he's a baron. I think I thought she was a baron. Ness. Okay. Uh, look, it is never clear. This is clear. unclear. 
the Unclear. movie once a, a does part. he become a baron because Angelica Houston's a baroness or is he a baron and she becomes a baroness was by she a baroness him? from her prior marriage and does that transfer to him it is never made clear all we know is that he has like a nice estate with a few workers yeah, that all get along with they have a very agricultural kind of villa situation yes and so he dies leaving like Angelica Houston doesn't really know this fucking kid that she's now responsible for and it cuts to like a decade later something like that yeah and um Cinderella played by her not Cinderella what is her name Danielle you remembered I had no idea good job yeah, she I'm did the it best. Bow, bow, bow. Allie um, just dabbed a lot. Don't tell everyone. Uh, it's a, dabbed. it's not a visual medium. The people have a right to know. I, okay. I'm going to be honest. I did dab. Um, <laughs> Danielle is uh, Drew Barrymore, and she is sort of because become part of the staff essentially in her own home. Correct, because she, Angelica Houston and her two daughters treat her like a slave. Yes, and they are clearly sort of selling off. Um they're running out of money in order to uh, keep up appearances. So they're like selling things and they keep accusing the staff of stealing things that they're like secretly selling. Which is the situation that we get dumped into when we meet adult Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. because one of the servants who's been with the family for a long time, I think his name was Maurice. He was I the think. only man. Yeah. She sold him mm-hmm. to be sent to the Americas to pay off her debts because a big part of this story is her passing off one of her daughters as a debutante eligible to marry the prince. Yes. Um, and so Danielle decides, I'm going to impersonate a courtier mm-hmm. and rescue Maurice and get him back for the family, which is how she meets the prince, but it's actually not how she meets the prince because the prince didn't want to get mailweed to a Spanish princess. Also, the prince is fully, like, 37 years old. He's, which he is looks a, a lot older age. than he's supposed to be. It's not... Here's the thing. 37 is not old, but when you're trying to fucking tell me, like, this young little fucking guy <laughs> doesn't want to get married, and then you show me an adult man who has been divorced already, please. <laughs> also... Uh, he's but, played by Dougray Scott, who is Scottish. Right. Okay, this movie, there Dougray. are lots of things that are sort name. of inconsistent in this movie. There's lots of tonal problems, I feel. Correct. it's never clear if it's trying to be pretty, if it's trying to be very acronistic of like, okay, this is not accurate to time period. Oh, this movie. Or if mo- it is, or I'm if so it is. Sorry. There are times when, I know you want to get to this. <laughs> But for, like, specifically the dialogue, there are times when Trevermar almost exclusively speaks as if she's from some kind of gay, olden... She talks like she's at a Renaissance fair. With like, a very bad British accent, but also props for trying. I mean, she did her best. And then they have lines where the king will say, I know this university thing is important to you. I was like, thing?! Like, they speak sort of... Yeah, in 15th century France, they didn't fucking say thing. It's so unclear. Um, It's also that thing of because it took place a long time ago, not in America, everyone has a British accent. Yeah. Received pronunciation is difficult. And if you get more nuanced, it becomes increasingly more difficult. Unless you're me, hello, hello. There's no... pop it. Hello. That's all I know. There's no... I could do a pirate accent, but that doesn't count. That's almost like West Country. I mean, I can do Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush from Pirates of the Caribbean. You best start. <laughs> I can't do it. You <laughs> best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. <laughs> we also, side note, I think the world needs to know about this. Allie and I finally... <laughs> we finally cracked... The, we're both crying. We finally cracked the code of the plot hole in Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I watched that movie probably five to ten times when I was 13. I hadn't seen it in some time, but it's a movie that's at least been in my brain for 15 plus years. It took me until the last time we watched it to understand the plot because Melanie explained it to me. Well, you brought up some really good points about the plot hole, and I, I know this has nothing to do with Ever After, but also... If we cut this, we cut this. If we dive into this, I don't want to cut it, matter. because Ever After made me mad. The timeline doesn't make fucking sense, and I want to talk about the plot hole in Pirates of the Caribbean. All right, we'll get into it. I didn't understand how the fucking curse worked. Correct, and the plot hole that you brought up, which yeah. made perfect sense to me... Because ne- it never made sense. Well, 
the the pitfall of the curse is Bootstrap Bill. Yes. Because in the movie, we know that Johnny Depp, Jack Sparrow, is not cursed because he did not take Cortez's cursed gold. Yeah. But we are to understand that Bootstrap Bill, father of Orlando Bloom's character, mm-hmm. is also cursed, but they killed him by strapping cannonballs to his feet and sending him down to meet old Davy Jones. And he sent away his piece of gold. Correct. He now, sent away his piece of gold for safekeeping, which is how the plot of the movie if, starts. If the curse prevents you from dying, how did they kill him? How did they do that? Correct, because we find out in the sequel that Davy Jones will come to you while you're dying and yeah. offer your soul a place on the So was he dying? How well, was he dying? How did the curse not affect him if he stole loophole. the thing? That's the loophole, and that's why this is so fucked up this if you really think about it. doesn't make any fucking sense. But it does because Bootstrap Bill was cursed. He was alive at the bottom of the ocean. Ugh. And at the end of the first parts of the Caribbean, when they fix the curse uh-huh. and kill Barbosa. that's when Bootstrap Bill dies and is visited by the Flying Dutchman and joins the crew. Okay. Because he finally dies. Okay. So they just need someone with your kind of blood? So it doesn't even need to be you? They just, like, you can just give a family member's blood for your blood? Yeah, because blood is blood. If your family, it's the idea that your family, family DNA, and that you have the same blood as your family, which is why Orlando Bloom's character is able to remedy the curse for this Bootstrap movie, Bill. This movie is so wild. Also, one last thing about it Pirates makes of sense the Caribbean. To me. You explained it, it makes sense now. I will say, watching that movie, the 12, 13-year-old me was so in love with Orlando Bloom. I watched it now, I'm like, this guy's a fucking dork! He is. We both of us were He's watching this and we were dad. like, you know who we should go for is Commodore Norrington. Yeah. Good Jack job. Davenport. Sensible, attractive, smart, Good cares job. about you. Gets along with your dad. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds like a great guy. I know. Anyway, ever <laughs> Can you tell that we're almost 30? <laughs> we're almost 30. We're like, the guy with the steady job actually seems like really cool. Um, <laughs> and when we were 12, we were like, angsty pirate boy. <sighs> His hair is so long. And that is the story that we needed to tell you. But circling back to Ever After. <laughs> okay. Honestly, we both had such a terrible time watching this movie. Allie, for what a lot of my notes, I just wrote down, I hate this. <laughs> the whole movie, she was just saying, I hate this. Why are we watching this? And the whole movie, I was saying, when does this movie take place? It made no sense. There are so many things. Okay, we have to talk about the plot a little okay. bit for my beef to make so, sense. All right, so... Um, anyway, so, part of her thing, she has saved enough money. She goes to, wait, does she meet the prince before him? She meets the prince before because he's running away because he's supposed to marry the Spanish princess for a treaty of peace between France and Spain. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. Also, he, he's running away. You want to away. talk about accents. It is so clear who is either actually English or who had some kind of theater training because, ooh wee, the accents, they are all over the place. That's correct. Dugray Scott says his first line, and I went, that guy is not English. That's, I can confirm that did happen. And I was like, this guy's fucking Scottish or something, and he was. He is. Great job. I caught you, bitch. I thought he might be Welsh, but you were right. You said Scottish. Anyway. However, they meet because Danielle is picking apples, and the prince rides by, and he's escaping, and he has taken one of her father's horse, her late father's horses. So she hurls an apple at him, hits him, yeah. Good. knocks him off the horse, and only later does she realize that he was the guy mm-hmm. that she hit with apples because she goes to rescue Mo- poor Maurice, poor yeah. old Maurice. Mm-hmm. Rip Disney. Yeah. Um, and this is not a Disney movie. And she quotes Utopia because there's a theme that she loves to read. And the her last father. book that her dad and her read was Utopia. Mm-hmm. And so she actually brings up a pretty valid point. Oh, she makes a great point. And this is also, here's the thing. Very there, are, there are elements in Ever After that I do like, but because it's so kind of tonally inconsistent, it frustrates me. This was something I did appreciate. If she says, oh God, I'm going to paraphrase. Yeah. I don't remember the full thing. But it's essentially, you are punishing people for committing a crime you condemned them to. You put them in a situation, you punish people for not being educated and but for you, resorting to a life of crime. Yes, However, but you refuse to educate you them. You refuse to educate them, you refuse to provide them with resources, so what else do they have left? Correct. But to become thieves or to commit these crimes that you have laid out. Which is 
honestly, in like late 15th, early 16th century France, a legitimate point. The wealth gap during that time was so incredibly wide. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate criticism. Yeah. It's also applicable, I would say, today. I think so. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of different places. But also, you know, if you're thinking in terms of history, French Revolution, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. it's a really legitimate point to bring up. Mm -hmm. And so she's dressed up. up And the prince is like, wow, who is she? She's smart. And she talked back to me. I can't believe a woman talked back to me. (laughs) Exactly. She talked back to me and I kind of liked it. Fully, this whole movie is him being like, I can't believe someone told me no. Like, that's really why he's into her. He's like, a girl can read? What? Well, it's more like a girl can think about things that men normally think about. Yes. Because this is put in, you know, a cultural context where women were not meant to be great political thinkers. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's also sort of the, the post-feminist arc of it. Yes. Um, um, but or, anyway, arc, um, but yeah. the prince runs into, when he's escaping his marriage, he actually runs into Leonardo da Vinci, <laughs> who is being robbed by a group of Romani. Mm-hmm. And also so rude to say this about the Romani people. Fuck you, movie. It's shitty to portray them that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But Leonardo da Vinci is there doing his artist residency, which also puts the timeline of this movie in such a fucking weird place. Yeah. But it makes <clears throat> the timeline. They keep referencing specific things. Oh, I, I made a list. Okay. Is it time for me to share my list? Or maybe we should wait a little bit longer. I'm sorry. I'm champing at the bit. I know. I gotta do it to him. It's champing at the... What is champing? It is champing. Actually, no, no, just go in. Dive. Uh, With pleasure. Because I have stuff about the plot and performances in this movie that I want to get to, but I think people should understand why, like, part of the reason this movie is so tonally kind of, like, I feel a little confused is because of this shit. Correct. And it's, it's just, it's confusing for history dorks like me, um, because... The the point of what this movie is supposed to be is, like, transporting the story of Cinderella into a historical context. But it doesn't transport it into a historical context. So <laughs> it doesn't. And it makes me really fucking mad, and here's why. So um, we forgot to say that at the very beginning of the movie, it's uh, in 17th century France, and there's this elderly woman telling the story, oh, yeah. and she's got the to glass To the Brothers slip. Grimm. Yeah, to the Brothers Grimm. The Brothers Grimm. The Brothers Grimm. She has a glass slipper. I got tripped up by glass slipper. Shut up. <laughs> Stop have, laughing at me. I have never made a mistake in how I speak ever. <laughs> and so the point of it is that she has a Leonardo da Vinci drawing, and it's one of his famous ones that's not a painting. It's more like a charcoal drawing of um, a very beautiful woman who looks like a Greek goddess with long flowing hair. And she says, oh, that's a portrait of my great-great-grandmother or whatever. Mm-hmm. That specific Leonardo da Vinci painting was made around 1508. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of references in this movie where um, the prince is telling his dad, come on, dad, get with the 16th century, which means they're in the 16th century, which means they're in the early 1500s, which kind of makes sense because Leonardo da Vinci ended up dying in 1519 and he did a residency in France in 1517 in the southeast of Paris. So that historical context kind of sort of makes sense. What doesn't make sense is all this business with Spain. And I'll tell you why. Get ready. Oh God. I'm really, I get fired up by this shit. Anyone who knows me knows. And those of you who are listening clearly know that already. If you've heard my rants about New York City <laughs> in any of the movies that have been set in it's New York City. It's from New York. Hey. Correct. Let's see the hot dog. That's right. Um, so <laughs> they have a reference of talking about divorce. So the queen of Spain is say she made a comment not the Queen of Spain, the Queen of France, when they're talking with their son about how marriage is important, she makes a comment about divorce and how only the Brits do that, um, which is, of course, a reference to Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Started um, a whole fucking church so he could get divorced. Correct. But Henry VIII, I mean, he annulled his marriage with Catherine of Aragon in 1533. Catherine of Aragon, Aragon is a region that's basically Spain today, mm-hmm. so Catherine of Aragon is Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um when did wait? When did he 
and all that marriage? 1533. Okay. So we're meant to believe somehow we are after 1533, but this painting wasn't made until 1508. So when the fuck are we? And also there's a lot of references in this movie to having the prince marry a Spanish princess for a treaty. Um, but the Franco-Spanish war wasn't until 1635. So I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Although spoiler for, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, we know we give spoilers, but spoilers for this movie, they don't end up getting married. So maybe that's what happened. Uh, no, I didn't find anything like that. There's one treaty that I, that I did uncover called the Treaty of the Pyrenees from 1659, but that was when Aragon or Spain, as we know it, gave Catalan to France. So that would not have happened. And also that happened in 1659 after the war. So there wasn't any marriage that was the impetus for that treaty. So fuck this movie. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yay. <laughs> I'm really mad. Here's the thing. I don't think I'd give a shit if it, if it wasn't clear on the time period. If it didn't try so hard to be like, history! We're talking about real shit. Like, it tries really hard to be like, we're doing real shit. And that's why I'm so pissed. Yeah. Because the specific tone of the movie is, this is if Cinderella were in history. And also if Leonardo da Vinci made a drawing of her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, then... Make it make sense, please. Yeah, but they didn't. Let's get back into the movie. Anyway, she ends up, after convincing the prince, because he's like, oh, you've read Utopia. Yeah, let's let all these people go. She brings back Maurice. And Angelica Houston is like, well, I want to say something. Now, I know I kind of trashed some of this movie. There are things in this movie that I really love. And one of those is Angelica Houston and the two sisters. Everyone who acts in this movie is great. The movie is just garbage. I... Richard O'Brien's in it as Monsieur Le Pew. Oh, yes. Uh, it took the us a villain second. that we didn't need. First of all, the villain is called Le Pew, which is okay, guys. And then it took us a second to figure out who it was. We were like, who, why do we know this guy? And it's Richard O'Brien of the Rocky Horror Show. He was Riff Raff. Yeah. I believe he also wrote it. He did. He yeah. wrote it. I will say, Bear, I love, I think I like the Angelica Houston and the two sisters because it's the most fun and it's the most almost campy it's pulpy it's like not i pulpy. agree with it's, that it's the most fun like there's a part that i melanie will attest i laughed out loud where the blonde sister the booby sister played by i believe megan dodd is her name i don't know um well, the other is played by melanie linsky who is a dream truly made me laugh out loud in so this good. movie but um <laughs> the the blonde the mean sister <laughs> At one point, sorry, they're trying to steal um, Drew Barrymore's clothes to go to a ball, and Drew Barrymore catches them. And she goes, these were my mother's. And, and the sister goes, yes, and she's dead. <laughs> and I, I cheered. I laughed out loud. It was a beautiful moment. Oh, it was so good. It was very funny. But the dynamic is the dynamic between Angelica Houston, Melanie Linsky, and What's-Her-Face is almost kind of, it's almost Three Stooges-y, but if the Three Stooges were, like, post-feminist, if that makes sense. Please go on, because I don't know if I follow. Well, it's not necessarily slapstick in all of the ways, but it's verbally very It's very quick. She's very very mean. It's like if the Three Stooges used words instead of hitting each other. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And it's women. Also, uh, they try really hard to make Melanie Linsky. There's a great moment. I left... Oh, this is another part where I gently laughed, where um, the prince is stopping by or like a representative of the court is stopping by to be like, oh, the prince might call upon this house because we're looking for girls. And uh, they're all dressed up. They, uh, the evil sister has, is wearing like a brooch to highlight her tits. Oh, like, yeah. It's a huge brooch. And they do Brings attention right to the and boobies. And Jellica Houston's wearing like what is essentially some kind of beautiful crown. And then Ugh. Melanie Linsky... The joke is they didn't really give her anything. They just gave her a feather. And so she moves it first to her hair. And then she can tell it's, like, not working. So she moves it to her cleavage. And so she's just trying to stand daintily with a feather in her cleavage. And the beautiful part about that is that they dress her really frumpy Mm because she's supposed to be, like, the chubby sister. There's so many jokes about how, like, oh, Jacqueline is still eating. And they call her fat a lot. And first of all, Melanie Linsky is not fat. Neither is the character. Uh They just dress her frumpy for a joke. She and Drew Barrymore are the same size. 
But that's why we rarely see them together unless the frump factor is way escalated mm-hmm. with Melanie Linsky. Yeah. Um, there's actually a TikToker who has a really good series on this. Mm-hmm. Um, her name's Rosie Beam. I highly recommend, if you're interested, to follow. She does a whole series about fat suits in TV and movies and characters who are not fat, who we are meant to believe are fat based mm-hmm. on the way they're treated. And yeah. it's pretty eye-opening. So it's, it's would recommend how we treat fatness in our movies and TV. It's wild. And also in real life in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's super fun. Um, and by super fun, I mean like really horrible and it's a problem. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. I saw something in my notes and I just remembered that something Angelic Houston says to like some of the staff to like get them to leave or to tell them to go away. It's she says, go catch a chicken. What the fuck does that mean? I guess literally it means go catch a chicken. At one point she calls someone an ill-mannered tub of guts and I really liked that. Yeah. That's something I want to implement in my everyday life. Uh, at one point, uh, 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 I know now we're just listing lines in the movie. Sorry, but like um, very good job of there's something very kind of sad about her, but she's also just awful. Vicious. And vicious and abusive. And she does a good job of portraying a hurt person hurting people, yeah. which does not excuse the behavior, mm-hmm. but it gives her character a lot of subtle depth yes, that I think is interesting and new to the story of Cinderella. Yes, I think she's very good at portraying the way that insecurity can manifest in a very hurtful, abusive way. I agree. Um like, uh, there's a part where Edrew Barrymore asks, did you ever love me? And she says, how can you love a pebble in your shoe? Oof. And you're like, oh, God! But it also brings up one of the themes of this movie because the character of Danielle is so desperate to have this person who is supposed to be her parent yeah. love her. Like the way Which her is father, why yeah. she sticks around in this mm-hmm. shitty situation for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she could like the way her father, I think, introduces her is like, you, you know, I feel bad that you haven't had a mother for so long. And now you have one. Now now you have a mother and you have two sisters. And so it's her trying to cling to this idea of like, oh, I. My dad wanted me to love these people and wanted them to love me. Yeah. And then they and they don't. They don't. Well, Melanie Linsky's character kind of comes around yeah. at the end when she has an opportunity. But she doesn't do it for the sole purpose of being a good person. She does it when she has an opportunity to screw over her sister and her mom. Yes. Not for the not for any kind of pure of heart motive. No. Um, but she does turn to the side of good. Yeah. Oh, anyway, we should probably get into more of the plot. It Basically, doesn't matter. This movie's garbage. <laughs> garbage. Um, it's one where it's like, I get why I liked it a lot when I was about eight. I get being a young girl, probably maybe even into like preteen years or something and watching this and it's very pretty. It looks nice. It looks nice. The message itself is good, which is like, you're allowed to save yourself. You, you know, read books. (laughs) What? Sorry. I don't know why I'm Women can read. Women can read. Women can read. Okay. Girl boss. I'm a girl boss and I know how to read. I know how to disenfranchise my employees and I know how to. I never saw girl boss. I don't know. I didn't see girl boss, but um, I don't like the term because it's gross. Okay. It's infantilizing. And it's also, uh, why can't you just be a boss? I agree. Mm-hmm. But more on the plot of this movie. More on the plot of this movie. The like, major Cinderella shit happens this, where she's supposed to go to the ball and she dresses super pretty and her stepmom locks her in a closet and Leonardo da Vinci helps her get out of the closet and mm-hmm. go to the ball. Mm-hmm. And then it's revealed that she was pretending to be her. Oh, yeah. Throughout this whole movie, because she arrived at the scene to rescue Maurice and was like, oh, my name is, I'm like the Countess de... Nicole to something, which was her mom's name. Her mom's thing. Um, she keeps running into the prince, and they have this sort of weird cult courtship where they keep showing up and meeting each other, and he really likes that she reads books. And he's like... Well, he takes her to a library, which is kind of cool. It's very sweet, I guess. I, I did not like him. I'm sorry. I just didn't like him. I was not that impressed with him. Oh, I didn't like him as a person, but Ugh. if someone took me to, like, His, an old-timey library as a date, I would be into that. That's Hint, nice. boyfriend, take me to an old-timey library as take a date. Take me to the aquarium, bitch. Oh. I want to look at fish. I want to read old, dusty books. 
the thing is, I didn't find the prince particularly likable. Not that you need a character to be super likable to be compelling, but, like, his story is one of such... I don't know, you can tell stories of people who come from, like, intense privilege and then learn something. Those are possible. Those are interesting. But, like, he was very unlikable. And his whole thing is basically just being like, wait a minute, other people matter too. You mean poor people deserve rights? Like, that's his whole arc. And I'm not, I'm glad he finds that out, but he's still, like, shitty to people. He's kind of shitty to his parents. And when he finds out that Drew Barrymore is, like, a commoner or whatever, he's very shitty to her. Also, though, is she really a commoner? No. Because her dad was a baron. It's unclear. Again, it's unclear. Also, he's shitty to her. He's like, you lied to me. And part of it is... He never lets, lets her, her talk. Speak. Multiple never occasions her throughout this movie, she's trying to tell him, I'm not who you think I am. I have misrepresented myself. She's I need to tell you. And he never lets her talk. He interrupts her every time. He's like, no, 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 hold on. Listen to me. I read a book. Please tell me how great it is that I read a book. Um, <laughs> I didn't, Reading I didn't is like him. I, and also, I didn't really... I didn't really feel like they had chemistry. The only reason I rooted for their romance is because I wanted Drew Barrymore's character to be happy. Same. I, I care about give a Drew shit about ba- the prince. I care about Drew Barrymore. Correct. But then this whole subplot with Richard O'Brien as Monsieur Le Pew. Oh, okay. So the thing is, he's like a creepy mer- merchant gross guy. And he's And he has he's been, been buying um, fancy stuff in their estate from Angelica Houston in order to give them money so that they can keep up appearances. And at the end, Angelica Houston ends up giving him Danielle because that's what he really wanted all along. Mm -hmm. So he takes her to his creepy chateau Mm -hmm. as his prisoner wife, basically. And there's a scene where she fights him with a sword. Where the fuck was that in the whole movie? This was the best part. There's no sword play until this moment. And she's like, my father taught me how to sword fight. When? When? Show us her sword fighting other times. I Here's the thing. I, I agree with you. I was like, where was this? I could have used this the whole rest of the movie. This was great. I, I like- think it would have been a really awesome theme to have her be kind of like a swashbuckling lady of the court. Yeah, and also lady of the corn? Court. Oh. <laughs> Listen, being a lady of the being a lady of the corn is a whole other thing. Lady of the corn. <laughs> I don't know. I was very confused, but um, a thing I liked about that scene was, and this is where kind of the feminist aspect of it is, the prince isn't rescuing her at any point. Like, she gets out of that because she fights her way out and attacks that guy. I think she chains him up or does something. I forget, but she basically... It doesn't really matter because it was dumb, She beat, but she beat him with her own skills. With her own skills, and she's willing to be like, okay, I'm leaving the castle, and as she's and walking... as she's going out, that's when the prince is like, I'm here to rescue you! She's and like, she's already like, done. fuck you! But not fuck you, because they get married. They get married, but the idea is like, you don't have to rescue me, already done, let's go make out. Oh yeah, out. he doesn't get married to the Spanish girl, because he, as he's getting married to the Spanish girl... The princess? Yeah, the princess. She is sobbing. She's crying super Comedically hard. loud, but it's also not funny. Yeah. And then um, what happens is he starts laughing as she is crying. Because he realizes that they're both in love with other people and yeah. they don't want to marry each and other. And so she goes and she, like, runs to another man who's at the wedding and is like, I'm in love with him. And he's like, okay, we're not going to get married. Um, Which also is great, I guess, but I What I happened feel- to them? I feel, yeah. in this historical context, they would just, if you are a member of the monarchy, you have certain duties to your country and to your people, even if you don't support them in certain ways, to make alliances that are beneficial for your country. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation where he majorly fucked up. I, I think it's implied that because he let her go... Like they're good on good terms now, right? But that would but never happen. It would in never real happen. Life. Also, what I think, what I historically would probably happen is they're going back to Spain. Her boyfriend is now murdered, and she has to marry some other dildo. Or um, they do get married and just have affairs, like Catherine the Great. Yeah. Anyway, she and the prince get married, and um, Angelica Houston and the not Melanie Linsky sister are brought in. To work as maids in the To work as... Because the thing is, like, the king and queen are like, did you 
do this bad thing and uh, your punishment will be determined by our new queen or whatever. And then the new queen is Drew Barrymore. And Drew Barrymore and Drew Barrymore is like, I would have them, I would like extend to them the same courtesy they extended to me. And that means that they now have to work. They have to do like cooking, cleaning, washing Manual up. labor. Manual but also labor. because they're in debt to her because they squandered the fortune that her father left to her. Yes. Even though she's a princess of France and it doesn't matter. Yes, but still it's messed up. Anyway, she and the prince are together now. I get, we're happy for her because we love Drew Barrymore. There are positive things in this movie. We like the kind of, I like the idea. I like Melanie Linsky a lot. I like their performances in this that I like. I like the overall kind of message, I would say. It's a fun movie if you don't think about it. it but it, but it's easy to think about it because you're like, wait, what's happening? Who is this? It's a great movie to have on in the background while you're like doing chores. Great folding your laundry kind of movie. Yeah. Um, and Drew Barrymore is so, so charming. She's delightful. At the end and of the she'll movie, pop up a lot in like the rom-com world as yeah. well. Even if, even if we don't care for a movie, I love Drew Barrymore. I think I would, she's great. I would recommend and watch this movie. I would, even though I had major beef with it. I definitely, I did not feel the same way as I did when I was eight. But it's like a fun one. It's a good, like... It's a good sleepover movie, I it think. It is a good sleepover movie. If you have kids movie. and you're like, what are we going to put on for them? Put this on. Do yeah. this. Do Clueless. Do Goonies. Goonies. Uh, E.T. if you want everybody to cry. Bloodsport. Bloodsport is so good. If you want your children to see an ass for the first time. <laughs> Show them Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Just a smooth butt. But what I will say about Ever After, circling back, is that um, there's a part where they all bow to Danielle. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, the only time I want to see a royal bowing to non-royals is when Aragorn bows to the hobbits. And I think he shouldn't even bow to Merry and Pippin because they didn't even really do anything. The one... The hobbit that we should be bowing to is Sam. Okay. Without was... Sam, Middle Earth would have fallen into total darkness and shadow, <laughs> and it's time people start realizing that. I feel like they did because that a the book came out <laughs> fifty years ago. A hundred. A hundred. Almost. No. Almost. Yeah. When did the Hobbit come out? Not the Hobbit. Um, it's... Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, The Hobbit. When the movies came out, it was seventy-five years. So we're like, get we're fast approaching a hundred. What? I Tolkien hate... wrote about it because of his experience in the war. God. Okay. So basically, they all bowed to non to commoners, and you don't feel that they should do that. I just don't give a shit because she didn't do anything. Who didn't do anything? Danielle? Yeah, she didn't do shit. Yeah, she did. No, she didn't. She suffered abuse for a long time. Someone should be nice to her. I agree someone should be nice to her, but I don't think that that warrants in that situation. She didn't do anything except get someone to fall in love with her. But that's how I feel. All right. I feel like if if someone's <laughs> going to bow to you, which is, you know, a big deal because you're subjugating yourself physically to another person, they had better have done something worthy of being bowed to. Probably. And I think getting someone to fall in love with you is not worthy of being. I think to. they're just doing it because of bullshit hierarchy because she's queen now. That's if what I'm saying. She didn't, she didn't achieve anything. She did. She Samwise did. Gamgee saved the fucking world. Oh my god. Samwise Gamgee. Um, more, more like slam thighs. <laughs> Damn, G. <laughs> oh my god. I can't breathe. Um, okay, I'm trying to think of what else we could talk about with this movie. The problem is this movie, we haven't seen it in a little bit, and we also didn't like this movie. We didn't. The, I, it's okay. a fun movie to watch. Like you said, definitely watch it at a slumber party. Um, but, um, Allie, I actually, because we both didn't like it, instead of just continuing to shit talk, let's try and be positive. Okay. How would you fix this movie? Okay, how would I fix this movie? <sighs> I think I would just focus more. I would get rid of a lot of the stuff where they, they, they're trying to add it to make it more interesting and more historically accurate. I would focus way more. I, for, for the movie being about Drew Barrymore, we don't really spend a lot of time with her. It's always her in relation to other people. I would have. I would just get rid of her friend, her like Gustav friend. Gustav adds nothing. Gustav adds nothing. Sorry, Gustav. Um, 
I, I want more scenes with her and her stepsisters. I loved the stepsisters and the classic Cinderella story of it all. I thought that was fun. And it's also more like almost campy. And I love, I also personally enjoy kind of like women having like, well, like almost a, what's the show from the eighties dynasty kind of like wealthy women cutting each other down with words or like a, um, a, um, designing women where it's like, here's a rant about how you're actually garbage. I love shit Hmm. like that. Sort of more of that. I I want deeper dives into the dynamic between um, like Angelica Houston and um, Danielle. I think that's more interesting. There's a really good scene where they're almost sort of connecting, but you're still seeing the sort of abusive tactics that the stepmother is unleashing on Danielle to keep her down. And that was really well done. I frankly, I wanted more of that. Let me put something down and see if you'll pick it up. Okay. Okay. Let me put it down. I feel like if they had changed the prince's character dynamic with Danielle and had her not like him at first, mm-hmm. because she's taken with him because he's the prince. Mm-hmm. And I think it may have been more interesting if he actually had to woo her mm-hmm. and work for her affection. Mm-hmm. I think that may have been better, too, because then we would see a change of him from being so arrogant and selfish to saying, hey, oh, I really like this person. Mm -hmm. Why don't they like me? I agree. I I agree with that. I think that's something I would have wanted more of because while they do spend some time together, I never never got the sense of, like, oh, they're falling in love. I think with any romance, but anytime someone has to convince me that these people are in love, I want to see scenes of them sort of being in love, falling in love, quiet moments of intimacy. And we didn't really get that. We kind of, honestly, I think I may have said this while we were watching it. Why are they in love? When did they fall in love? Why does she like him? Mm -hmm. Because it's like you said, he doesn't really do much to woo her. He kind of just yells at her. He just is the prince. He just sort of is the prince. I think at one point he's like, oh, you inspired me to maybe start a university which is a big thing to be inspired to start, but Very not big. a reason to fall in love it's with not someone. A really, like, I, I, I'm not going to fall in love with you because you did a charitable act. You know? like Right, and for the purpose of impressing me, not because it was charitable. Not because you're supposed to do that as the leader of this country. Yeah. That's, so that's another way I'd fix it. I'd also, yeah, get rid of Leonardo da Vinci. Get rid of the whole beginning where it's like the, not the beginning, I kind of didn't give a shit that it was like, my grandmother was the countess. It, it sort of revealed that like, the old nothing. woman, the old woman at the beginning, who's like, brother's grim, let me tell you a story. At the end, she's like, that was my grandma. Who cares? I have a question. Do you think this movie is romantic? No. No. Do you? No. They kissed, and I was like, don't touch her. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Do you think this movie was sexy? No. It was not sexy. I feel like I may have said some version of this on other episodes of this podcast but it wasn't even like because there are sometimes there are movies where two actors will kiss and they don't really have chemistry but it's sort of that thing of like well these are two hot actors I don't really mind looking at this right now but there that were there wasn't even that an example if you're like what's a good example of what you're describing Ellie Jupiter ascending do they have chemistry no but when they make out you're like well I don't hate this. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but I trust your oh, I trust your opinion. We might have to watch that. No! <laughs> you or know not. how I feel about Channing Tatum. <sighs> we disagree. We don't have time to get into it. Anyway. Um, well, I thought this movie, there were two specific parts that I thought were sexy. The first one. Wait, excuse me? Two specific parts. <laughs> don't worry about it. The first one was um, my favorite phrase, ill-mannered tub of guts. There's just something about the way that was said that was just like, huh, yeah. huh. Angelica Houston is truly one of the sexiest women in film. Morticia Adams. Ha, a babe, a dish. Truly. A presence. Um, um, and the second the part, part was when Richard O'Brien... I knew was trying it! To convince, <laughs> he was trying to convince Drew Barrymore to, like, get with him, and he goes, I'm very well endowed. I and forgot I about that. that! I forgot about that. I will say... A way in terms of fixing when it's like, oh, what would you get rid of? I would not get rid of Richard O'Brien. Oh, I he does creepy loved, sexy in such a great way. He was so creepy. I did genuinely like his outfit. And his mustache. He has a crazy mustache. It's very French. Um, Honestly, oh. I think I wanted this movie to be a little more campy. There, Again, the tone, it's it goes between being very like serious, like 
movie about history and helping the poor. And then it has very campy moments where, like... It couldn't decide what it wanted it to be. It could not decide. And I think I kind of wished it leaned into the camp a little more because it is a fairy tale. Yeah. It's a silly... It, it's something kind of maybe whimsical or fun or silly. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous story. True. A girl likes to read by the... Fu- oh, that was a part that I did get emotional where they threw her book in the fire. Oh, that part really hurt my soul. Oh. They, they're doing it to be mean to her mm-hmm. and they take the one thing she has left of her dad, Utopia, this yeah. beat up book that because she reads all the time. Because they want to use her mother's old outfit. They're like, either your mother's shoes or your dad's book. You have to get rid of one. You and her to- mother's shoes end up being the glass slippers. Yeah. And they don't even give her a choice. They just throw the book into the fire and yeah. they won't let her get it out it's yeah. really upsetting it's very sad mm. i guess we kind of enjoyed this movie i mean i i did i'm not <sighs> afraid to say it it's, a, had, it's not en- a good movie but i enjoyed it i enjoyed parts of it um it's also so 90s yeah the color um the hair. palette the hair the bleached eyebrows oh um oh 90s. the bleached eyebrows um drew barrymore uh, had a phase and she made it work. Honestly, Drew Barrymore is able to make so many hair colors and makeup styles work. Yeah, I agree. Um, She's great. Who are you in this movie? Do oh, why Melanie Linsky? I'm goofy. The whole bit where she is trying to be sexy with a feather and her hair and <laughs> a feather and a cleavage—that's me. I've done versions of that. I've been talking to friends and all of a sudden just sort of pulled my shirt down a little bit to be like, hey, guys, let's have a conversation. You have done that in Um, the past. Who are you in this movie, sweetheart? Uh, I can't decide. I feel like I'm either the king because I'm ornery all the time. (laughs) And when people don't do what I tell them to do, I get extremely irritated. (laughs) Shout out to any of my coworkers. And then... Sometimes I feel like I'm the snarky old maid lady with the cool hat. Oh, wait. I don't remember anything she said, but I remember just looking at her and seeing her snark and being like, yeah, I get you. I do feel like there was a scene where at least one time, like, the two older lady maids look at the prince or some handsome guy and are like, oh. And they just ham it up. And I I like to ham it up. I like that. Yeah, that's nice. I see that for you. Thank you. Um. Uh, although maybe neither of us would really be in this movie. Yeah, that's fair. I don't see either of us being like French maidens. No. We're kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I am, but I'm definitely not French. That's not part of my heritage. I think I actually am a little bit French. That would make sense. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Oh, okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, yes. Here we go. Here we go. Fuck, Mary kill. Woo, Fuck, Mary kill. Woo, woo. All, right. All right. Do you see how I perked up? <laughs> we play, for those of you who don't know, Allie and I play this game with each other all the time. We're really good at it. We, we give some really, some really tough ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to do one now. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Fuck, Mary kill. Okay. Richard O'Brien, okay. a.k.a. Monsieur Le Pew. No. Monsieur, Monsieur Le Pew. I really can't believe when they when they said that was his name, I laughed out we loud. We both, I almost shat myself. Like he's Pepe Le Pew. Like he's fully, he's an evil skunk who's trying to fuck the Hello, cat. Daniel. <laughs> that was really good. I'm very well endowed. <laughs> he's like halfway. He's 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 um, Alan Rickman adjacent. That's what I would characterize Ooh, Richard O'Brien that's, as, especially this performance. Yes. Um, but fuck Mary Kill. Monsieur Le Pied, mm-hmm. the prince, or Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. I don't like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I picked them. I would not, I don't want to engage with any of those people. You have to at choose. All. You have to choose. <sighs> How was da Vinci with his wives? I mean, he was Italian, so he was probably Wasn't he pretty- gay. He was a homosexual. Which means he was probably great at the sex. With me? I don't know. I am, I'm a lady. Well, we're, l- the context of this game is if you would be compatible in either of those ways. Okay, I'm trying to think of who so I tell. Regardless of I, Da Vinci's sexuality, I, fuck, Mary kill, go. He's very old, 
Not that being old is bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm barely, I'm pushing 30. I still have so many eggs left. I gotta use them. Oh. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> oh, God, so many eggs. What to do? Um, I guess I would, I would marry the prince because then I would be the queen. Mm, smart. And then I would use my power as the queen to make some adjustments to the country to help the people. So we'd marry the prince. Part of me wants to fuck Richard O'Brien because he's a spooky weirdo. And sometimes that's a thing, but he's too creepy spooky for me. I don't want to fuck Da Vinci. (sighs) Wait, Da Vinci? Okay, I'm realizing right now that a lot of the artwork that I'm thinking of when I think of Da Vinci is actually Michelangelo. So we're getting rid of Da Vinci, and I'm going to fuck Richard O'Brien. Okay, okay. How about you? That took, I know that took a long time. Listen, but sometimes you got to logic it through. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm in this scenario I'm killing Da Vinci, but in this movie he's like a day from death. If anything, <laughs> it's a mercy killing. He's at least ten years from his death. He's ready to go. He all he painted all his best shit. He's done. What's well, he, he gonna had do? All of his wacky inventions. Oh god! He tried to invent a fucking tank, by the way. Yeah, because he was awesome. I'm, I'm whatever. <laughs> Michelangelo was like. <laughs> That's exa- Can you repeat what Michelangelo? <laughs> Michelangelo, what was he like? Can you repeat that for the class, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, Catholic Church. <laughs> I'll paint your ceiling, but at what cost? <laughs> That's funny. We talked so little about the actual movie. It doesn't. It could, because <laughs> the movie was so tone deaf and confused, it doesn't matter. It was very ambitious. I there were things. Kill the prince. Oh. I hate arrogant people. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with it. Kill the prince. Mm-hmm. Revolution. Vive la France. Uh-huh. I would fuck Leonardo da Vinci because then I could say that I fucked da Vinci. Oh and I would marry Richard O'Brien because he's creepy and what? weird. And we would have a wonderful, creepy life together. Okay. I think this movie was very ambitious. And I commend <laughs> it for that. I don't know that it ended up... I don't know that the execution was as effective as it maybe wanted to be. It was not. I would agree. I would say, I know we said before, but I think, I, I think I'd recommend this movie. It's a good, like, sleepover movie. I agree. But mm-hmm. also a testament to how memorable yet unmemorable this movie is. We spent half of this episode talking about a completely different movie. Yes. <laughs> because that's what Ever After is like. Yeah. It's a movie that makes you kind of excited to watch a different movie. Like, there's a lot of stuff where I would watch Melanie Linsky and I would think, oh, God, Melanie Linsky is so good in everything. Ooh, you know what's a good Melanie Linsky movie? Heavenly Creatures. Ooh. Or Angelica Houston is so good in everything. Crimes and Misdemeanors. Even though it's Woody Allen, she's great in it. What's Crimes and Misdemeanors? It's basically like Woody Allen being like, what if I made a 1980s version of Crime and Punishment? I don't like that. It's... An interesting movie. Angelica Houston's incredible in it. She's incredible in everything. And I also thought, like, the blonde, I keep, I believe her name is Megan Dodd. I'm so sorry, ma'am. Very talented. I she did a great job. That She was great. It's a lot of, it's a thing where you're like, oh, this person is really good in this other thing. It's a movie that kind of makes you want to watch other movies. We When we watched it, we couldn't even pay attention. And I kept talking about how Drew Gray Scott was almost Wolverine. Was he? Yes. Uh, Imagine. Track. We're sidetracking. Imagine the, f- the possibilities. That was really good. Thank um, you. I have we're sidetracking this again. Voice. Our darling sound engineer, Tiffer, with the little curl bouncing against his face. Just giving us the signal to move the fuck Sorry. on. <laughs> Duke Gray Scott was almost Wolverine. Well, good for him, I guess. But also, he didn't get it. No, he. here's the thing. He did get it. Couldn't do it because of some contractual something. For what? I don't remember. You know what? It anyway, doesn't matter. Colvin Hugh Jackman, and now we have Hugh Jackman. Great. Bravo. Well done. Um, and on that note, that was Ever After. This is Ever After. It was fine. It was all right. Watch it if you want. We don't really, clearly we don't, we have some very strong opinions and some very weak opinions this about movie this movie. really kind of... 
it was almost in middle of the road for us almost. I would say, here's the thing. I would say I would put it above some of the other movies we've watched so far. I'd put it definitely above Just Friends. I think I'd put it maybe above The Holiday. Mm. Above half of The Holiday. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree. It was more tolerable and less misogynistic than most of the other stuff we've had to watch. That's true. Um, but, I mean, watch it if you want or don't watch it. We don't really care because, as you can tell, this movie confused us in a lot of ways. Um, but that was You Had Me at Hell No about Ever After. Woo! Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to follow us, we are at, at Hell No Cast on Twitter and Instagram. Correct. And, and you can also email us at hellnocast at gmail.com. Yeah. How did you feel about Ever After? Is this a movie you watched when you were a kid? Is it post-feminist? Do you... Tell us about Richard O'Brien's accent and his well-endowed dong. I... I don't like thinking about it. He was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That, and that means he has a good dick? Yes. If anybody comes out of that with Have a vo- you seen that movie? Yeah, but I, his dick... Honestly, if you leave that movie being like, ooh, I'd fuck Riff Raff, I don't want to talk to you. No, he's not the one, but everyone with a dick in that movie has a great looking dick. Tim Curry seems great. Anyway... <laughs> And on that note, (laughs) note. thank you for listening. This was You Had Me at Hell No. Thank you so much. We love you. We love you. I'm Mel. I'm Allie. Have a great day. Bye. (laughs) You Had Me at Hell No was recorded in Scoundrel and Scamp Theater in Tucson, Arizona. And Allie and I just want to thank the theater for allowing us to record there. Special thanks are also in order to Tiffer Hill, our engineer, for putting up with all of our shenanigans and making us sound fabulous, as well as Bella Vanek and Lucille Petty for our theme song. Thank you, Bella and Lucille. Yeah.